Are you seeking a better way to accelerate your sales, to scale your business, to live a life with no limits? Accelerate Sales Podcast features global experts who have cracked the code to recurring revenues with proven sales systems and get you on the fast track to scaling. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins and welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast, episode number 435. Today, you're going to learn so much from this guest. It's absolutely amazing. But three things in particular, one is the future of the ecosystem and how it will impact you as a cloud consultant. The second is the move to indirect and marketplaces and how that's going to impact resellers. And the third is AI and how that's going to impact key industries and how and what role it will play for us as a cloud consultant. If you're a first-time listener, uh, please subscribe. We uh, only help cloud consultants and effectively if you're adapting uh, a SaaS vendor's software to get results, you're in the right place. The other is you as a regular. If you're a regular, I really appreciate those reviews. There's going to be a summary in the app. And like I said, there's lots and lots of stats given and links in this, but you can also get the full transcript, which I highly recommend you have checking out at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And before we go live with the interview with Jay, I'd like to thank our sponsors. The first is the Cloud Consultants Collective. It's a free Slack community where peers are helping other peers with business, right? So it's less technical, it's around business, and you can find that at the cloudconsultantscollective.com and the other is SendSpark. It's a fantastic video platform that really allows you to bring you out uh, in the conversation. And also it's got a great way of you doing a little recording and then um, seamlessly bringing in another video recording, which can help you to personalize at scale. And there's free six months if you can go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash send spark. So our guest today is Jay McBain. He's one of the most visible and respected thought leaders in the global channel ecosystem. Uh, named 2021 Channel Influencer of the Year by Channel Partners Magazine, top 40, under 40 by the Business Review, and as well as numerous channel magazines, top influencer lists. He's often sought out for industry guidance and future trends. And he's definitely going to give you that here today. He spent 28 years in various executive channel sales marketing roles and strategy roles, including IBM, Lenovo, Autotask, Channelize, and Forrester. He's now at Canalys. He's a chief analyst, and Canalys is the world's leading research firm with a distinct focus on channels, partnerships, alliances, and ecosystems, and he brings it all to you today. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Jay McBain from Canalys. Great to have you here, Jay. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've uh, watched many of your videos. I've listened to you on lots of podcasts. So uh, yeah, I'm very excited to have you here today. And look, you know, there's a common theme or common themes that you talk about a lot. One's the ecosystem, right? And uh, I must admit, I did a little bit of homework to sort of really understand what it means because I know some people throw it out there and I'm like, yeah, well, give me context. Right? Well, what does it mean to to me? So let's start with that. What, what do you define as an ecosystem and, um, you know, how how is it play out or what role do, do partners uh, play in that ecosystem? 
Yeah, so the ecosystem has always been around us, just not at the scale. Today, 75% of world trade flows indirectly. You bought your last car from a dealer, you bought your last TV from a retailer, you bought your last jar of peanut butter from a grocer. Almost everything you do in your personal and professional life goes through others, local entrepreneurs in most cases. Those are partnerships. That's part of the ecosystem. Well, things are changing in terms of how products are put together, how industries are progressing. And we're getting to the point now, almost three quarters of CEOs think that they can't succeed in the future alone. They can't do it alone. And so whether it's a car industry, looking at the fact that 79% of people now won't buy a car unless it has Apple CarPlay, that's a technology integration driving an actual 100-year-old industry. You know, in software today, if you buy MarTech, there's 9,932 ISVs, SaaS companies, who build marketing software. The number one customer demand over cost, over support, and all the other things is now integrations. Yes. So how things work together, the whole world is becoming embedded and white-labeled and building blocks from Internet of Things to you know, AI, automation, quantum computing, blockchain, metaverse, everything now is together. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, this is coming fast. Yeah. And, and how's it coming, like I said, for a partner? I'm at, let's say you know, you're listening to Jay here and you're a Salesforce partner, you're a, you know, a Microsoft partner. Well, how's it going to change the way that, that I make my revenue in the future? Well, it's interesting because Salesforce is, was the first to put out what I call a multiplier. And if you were at Dreamforce last week, you would have heard Mark Benioff talk about the $6.19 that partners can make for every dollar of Salesforce. And they built the company and they call it Ohana. They built this company around not doing it alone. They know from their own app exchange that the average Salesforce deal gets sold with six other ISVs and then kicks off this wonderful services opportunity. So they know this inside. Here's another thing about Salesforce. They said a few years ago, they were gonna recruit 250,000 partners. And they're a direct company. They sell 100% almost direct, other than a few places in Asia Pacific. And so that seems odd that it'd be such a big number. Well, they hit almost up to that number now, and they've reannounced that they're up in it to 500,000. So this is the future ecosystem where you can be a direct company and the 28 moments that your customer goes through from having a problem to making vendor selection, the point of purchase, then in a subscription consumption model, every 30 days after that forever, the technology alliances, the strategic alliances, the business alliances, those six swim lanes for a company like Salesforce represents 500,000 partners. Let's flip to Microsoft. You know, you hear their CEO talking about unlocking trillions of dollars for the channel. For partners, these dollars are not margin. This is not resale dollars. These are the dollars, and they'll talk about $10 for every dollar of Microsoft, which is, you know, I, I wrote many of these reports, so that's a little bit on the high end for one of their products. Yes. But you can think about it like a $6 multiplier. Same yes. with Google, same with AWS. This is the world that we're going into where your average customer today, at a, and this is important for sales, at a mid sized company or higher, the M part of SMB up through enterprise has seven partners they trust today. Yeah. The average vendor recognizes one or less of those seven because they focus for the last 40 years on resell. 
Yes. Resell, like I said, 75% of the world, extremely important, but now just as important, getting customers to the dance, getting them on the dance floor, and then keeping them dancing all night long are the other six partners. And Microsoft is bringing on 400 new partners every single day. That's the numbers, the scale to be able to reach those moments in that longer, never-ending customer journey. Yeah, and I think you you said 64% of, so the $6.19 is from services. Is is that right out of the, the, the uh, total cost of ownership for Salesforce? Uh, it is. It's actually probably slightly higher than that uh, today. But um, you could imagine that those six other ISVs sell about a dollar on top of the dollar. And then there's $5.19 that kind of gets spread around before, during, and after the transaction. Again, there's no margin to be made at the transaction, but 24% of marketplace deals today are actually partners clicking buy on behalf of the customer. That's a partner assist function. Microsoft has gone as far as actually publishing their assist number at 96%. Right. That just shows that probably every one of their customers has partners in there that they trust, but they're at the point now they can measure 96% of it. So they're getting further on in terms of pain at the point of value instead of at the point of sale. And after hundreds of years of commerce, this is a major transition in industry to paying at the point of value and recognizing, attributing the point of value as opposed to just whoever collects the customer's money. Yeah. Well, look, I know when we sold our cloud consulting business, you know, one of the key things was the subscription revenue that we were getting. And effectively, we sold it to a Google partner because they were making very small revenue. Uh, per subscription, and then we had a very high revenue per subscription. So that's why we've got a good multiplier. But from what I'm hearing from you is that may not be what you're going to sell your your business on from a multiplier in the future, because that revenue that's coming from you being a reseller is going to shift more towards services. Have I got that right? Yeah, and you're starting to see it live. But we, we've been talking about this for a decade, and you know, there's magazines trying to sell clickbait. You know, the end of resale and stuff, and and we know that's not true. There's, you know, in the tech market, there's about 4.3 trillion that was transacted last year. And trillions of that went through the channel. Yes. The fact of the matter is that number isn't growing by that much. This yes. industry is doubling in size this decade. And most of the growth is going to be fulfilled through marketplaces and direct. So where we might be somewhere between, you know, 70 or 75% indirect today, you might see a future where it's 33% through indirect channel resellers, which is that same multi-trillion dollar number. It just hasn't grown. It hasn't grown. In an yeah. industry that's doubling. Yeah. Uh, you know, marketplaces that have gone from basically zero to what McKinsey is calling 17 trillion in B2B marketplace activity by the you know 2030, I believe it was. And then you've got um, you know, direct, which when the six other companies sell on Salesforce or sell on Microsoft or sell on HubSpot's marketplace. That's also an indirect sale. Yes. Because somebody else is collecting the money. It's just yes. not a, you know, somebody in a white van or not a distributor. It's a marketplace taking on that role of how money is transacted, but still an indirect sale. So you might see two thirds of this industry still indirect, but not at that reseller linear supply chain that we have today. Yeah, and I, I know you said it's a little bit like the banking industry in some of the videos that I watched, that that's the way it's going. Can you sort of describe that to us? Like, you know, how is it like the banking industry? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's 27 different industry examples, and I've been using a car one recently with all the changes there. But, 
you know, in the banking industry, you've got 5,000 fintech companies, SaaS companies yes. that are disrupting all parts of the supply chain. And we know as consumers today, when you swipe your credit card, that little 3% that gets uh, taken off and the, the vendor has to eat it. But that 3% all doesn't go to Visa or MasterCard or American Express. It actually gets split up between 17 different companies. And I'm going to say 16 of the 17 you've probably never heard of. And these companies were put in place you know, 50 years ago before we had global networks and ways to transfer money and trust money and things like that. So the, these 5,000 fintechs and crypto and everything else is rethinking how money changes hands and how it works at scale. And you know, many of those 17 companies are trying to find a place, a platform, adding value to the consumer over time. And uh, you know, that industry is going through a complete partnerships transformation. I don't think there's any CEO of any bank or insurance company or big financial house who doesn't see partnerships as their future in terms of um, uh, working with customers. And again, the long-term subscription and consumption models that that industry is you know, continually going into. Yeah. And, and just on you know, other, other currencies like crypto, as an example, you know, do you see, you know, soon that we'll be accepting as partners, we'll be accepting different, you know, whether it's Bitcoin or whatever the one that uh, succeeds, you know, what's your view on, on that moving forward? Yeah, that's a really tough one to predict. And that's probably another 30 minute conversation on its own. Um, you know, I have this theory that, you know, by the time I'm probably ready to um, uh, move on, uh, you know, 50 years from now, I think a Bitcoin will be worth a million dollars. I just can't predict from the $19,057 that it is today to there how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen pretty quickly. Like it moved to 62,000 almost overnight and then back down overnight. Uh, this is not for the you know, faint of heart. So, you know, for those wealth managers that say, you know, for, for wealthy people, you know, have a third of your money in real estate, have a third of your money in private business have a third of your money in, um, uh, in uh, stocks. Yes. So now it's maybe peel out five to 10% of your net worth and invest in quality crypto because there is value there. And we're just working through, this is the 2007 version of the iPhone. It's the 1964 version of the mainframe. We're going to go through a lot of ups and downs and you can't be watching that as a significant portion of your portfolio without having a heart attack. But I, I think that there's going to be, you know, a global, non-country, not government-specific source of wealth that's outside of gold. Yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah. And and you know, this is Jay's opinions. So it's not financial advice. It's just uh Jay's opinions on this one. And uh certainly none of us are giving financial advice. So um back on to um you know, I'm a, I'm a, let's say, whatever partner I am at the moment, I'm looking for, you know, what's going to be the um, high rising tide, you know, like who, which, which of the, the, the SAS vendors are going to, you know, effectively lead the, the race, you know, how do I pick that? Who, who do you see as the ones that are going to be predominant over the next five years? Are they the same as the ones that are current? Or do you think, you know, that it's going to change, their market share is going to change? Yeah, well, today you've got 175,000 SaaS companies, uh, okay. but you break it down by buyer. 
And you know, if you went to G2 Crowd, for example, you'll see 103,000 of those SaaS companies there listed. They're listed in 2,200 categories. Yeah. And, and the way it's kind of playing out is that every category attaches to either a particular buyer, a particular industry, a particular geography, a product set like security. It connects to a, a business model uh, like managed services, or it connects to um, a segment. SMB up through enterprise or government healthcare. So in those six kind of swim lanes, that's where the SaaS companies uh, are created. And I think there's 35 million places, if you multiply all those together, that you can build software today. So I've made the prediction that you know by the end of the decade, there'll be a million software companies. But today, the average software transaction has seven layers. I mentioned Salesforce and HubSpot and others, seeing six others part of every deal. You sell a somewhat of a generic horizontal platform. And if you happen to be a mid-sized bank in Scotland, you walk that back, compliance, regulation, all the governance, all the stuff that makes it work in your region, you know, takes multiple different layers of software and, and services to make that work. And so I think that that expands, you know, that seven goes to 10 and maybe goes to 15. And you know, many of these companies, they're not software companies like you would think of a Microsoft or an Oracle. These are literally people who created a lightning bolt or a lightning flow inside of Salesforce. So you just automated a task, like an RPA, robotic process automation task. You can go to GoDaddy and get a URL for two bucks. You can you know, set up a LinkedIn over the weekend. You can set up a website. I mean, you literally, there's zero barriers to entry. And today with no code, low code, drag and drop, yeah. you know, it doesn't take developers anymore to innovate. If you know an industry, if you know a buyer, if you can solve something that might cost services dollars or, or pain, you know, in terms of manual tasks, and you can simplify that by a minute multiplied by, you know, a hundred thousand potential customers. I mean, you've built yourself a really valuable company and, and you can do that for literally dollars and, and, and the weekends of work. Yeah, and I, you know, I read an article you um, put on LinkedIn around the car industry and AI and just how AI is going to impact the the ecosystem. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because you know, you know, for for example, for a lot of the platforms we've been talking about, you know, you won't be doing the work in in the future. You know, the the platform's going to be doing the work for you. And I'm like, well, we're nowhere near that at the moment. From when I look at the the standard products, right, it's still a bit of a myth. So. Um, yeah, just tell us how you know artificial intelligence is going to play in this this ecosystem. Yeah, and I think even a bigger impact to AI will actually be the differences in partnerships uh, that that play the future of this industry. So, you know, you could have talked through the uh, kind of dismantling of the music industry, the movie industry. So many industries have been disrupted by technology, and cars are lined up next. So you, now you've got an all-in global commitment to uh, electric, and you even have places that are laggards like the United States, where California, the most liberal of states, have said by 2035, every new car must be non-gasoline, so probably electric, but could be other, uh, but cannot be polluting. And now 17 states have followed. So in a place that is not as far ahead on electric cars as maybe other places, You've got an all-in government commitment that that's where it's going. Before that happened, all 62 car companies globally have made a full-on commitment to electric. Yes. The thing that follows electric very quickly is self-driving. 
Yes. We already have 35 million miles logged by Tesla. It is safer than humans by an order of magnitude. The only reason we don't think that way is because every time there's an accident, it's on the front page of the newspaper. Yes. Kind of like an airline. You know, if, if there's an air accident, it's on the front page of the newspaper. But we all know now, after decades, that per mile driven or, or flown, I mean, it is absolutely the safest way to travel is on an airplane. But we all have an inherent risk. And now we know by data that self-driving is literally orders of magnitude better than you texting while you're driving down the highway. Yes. And so when we get a few more decades into this, cars are electric, now they're full self-driving, the next thing that comes is the most impactful, which is transportation as a service. Yeah. Now, a car is about the worst investment you can make. It's expensive now, uh, you know, around the world to buy a new car, but 99% of its value is left sitting on your driveway. And the depreciation just sits there and depreciates. It's one of the worst asset classes ever. And so the idea of transportation as a service is everyone has a consumption need to get from point A to point B. If I go to the lumber store, I want a truck. If I go on a date, I want a convertible. If I go to the airport, I want a cube van with a lazy boy recliner and a big screen TV in it with my computer. So uh, I'm going to want tech, you know, transportation to align to my outcome five minutes before I need it. And those cars are all going to drive themselves to some big factory by the airport on cheap land, you know, by minimum wage employees at that factory to get new tires and new brakes when they need them. Yeah. You know, there are these dealerships that all of us in all of our towns and cities that sit on very expensive land and become very powerful people could be on the outside of this. And so if you, the reason I use cars as an example, because it's literally happening right now. The announcement Ford is making in the US, they've laid off you know, big numbers, 3,000 of their ICE people, internal combustible people. They can't hire enough people to compete with a computer company on wheels because Tesla is the North Star. They're talking about ordering cars. The best-selling car in America for 43 years is a truck. And that F-150 is now electric. And they're talking about you ordering that in your bunny slippers at home. So this is causing all kinds of consternation, but 75% of world trade goes indirectly. Yes. And all of these subscription consumption models, marketplaces, product-led growth, subscription, you know, usage and value-based models, all these models of the future will likely be more direct, more with the manufacturer or more with you know, some central market, large, large marketplace, like an Amazon or an Alibaba, than it will be for you know, going out to a, a grocery store or a, or a local retail. So these are the biggest changes. And at one point, BBC predicted that we we're going to lose 47% of all of our jobs based on robots. Never came true because all the jobs that were taken were replaced with two jobs, you know, to get all this working. Yes. Uh, now, though, is you're talking about a much bigger impact on all those local entrepreneurs driving white vans in every industry as your air conditioning company builds out cool air as a service, as every industry changes to a subscription consumption, everybody starts looking like Netflix. Yeah. What happens to these people locally who are trying to pay their mortgages and raise their families and hire local people in their local entrepreneurial businesses when all this you know, happens? And, and that's what I'm worried about. And I think there'll be jobs to replace it, but right now I can't figure out where those are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, sobering. 
sobering point. And um, what about, as, as I said, as far as from a, you know, let's go down to a product perspective at the moment. When do you see, so the self-driving car, obviously, it's great. So at the moment, you know, you're sitting there listening to Jane, you think, you know, like from a, even from your own use at the moment, you know, sales CRMs, as an example, there's still a lot of heavy lifting, right? I've got to, you know, uh, there's some tools out there like LeadJet we use to get information out of LinkedIn into, into your sales CRM, but it's still very clunky and it, it doesn't tell you predictively what you should do at any given point, right? It's all self-generated at the moment. When do you think AI will click over to make uh, a significant change in the way that we sell? Um, yeah, the way that we sell. Yeah, and I think it's really the machine learning side of it, connecting all the dots. The interesting thing is I mentioned MarTech has close to 10,000 companies. Sales tech has close to 5,000. So there are billions of dollars of private equity last year that are going into solving these problems at scale. And it's not an AI as the way we think about it, but it's in the uh, idea of stitching together all of these sources of truth and getting the data to be more predictive and prescriptive in nature. Because, you know, every new sales deal isn't new. There are, you know, absolute shadows of what have happened in the past. And, and getting better at, you know, getting that data, cleansing it, manipulating it, and then getting predictive and prescriptive around it is where the big win is. And I think we're starting to see some movement in that. But keep in mind, with when I talked about partnerships, uh, the data lake is filling faster because each of your customers have seven partners that are also generating data. You have 28 moments, even before the point of sale, that are generating a lot of data. And think about every 30 days forever, the amount of data that's shared. So the amount of, you know, to be able to do your job in the future is going to be much more hybrid with technology, helping you along the way and, and making sure you've got the right uh, tools. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, as I said, I've been, uh, you know, when we are I think it was in 19... Uh, when was it? 1980, no, 1994. We had a, a guy come into Coca Cola and present effectively. He said, So, you know, there's going to be mobile phones, you're going to come out of your airport, and your car's going to, you know, the phone will find the car, and then the phone's going to open the car, and all of this. And, you know, all the a lot of people in the room are like, That's never going to happen, right? And now, you know, now that's just a reality. It's it's every day. So yeah, I'm very excited about what what's coming through. And I know that you're at the forefront of that research. And that's why I highly recommend you should follow Jay. And you know, this has been a great interview, but also, you know, follow Jay for for what's coming your way. Because I uh, remember at Coke, we also used to say, you know, milk bars will die, right? So let's call that, you know, whatever trillion of reseller volume is going to die. No, it sort of stayed about the same. It's just that everything else grew faster. So if you want to know what's growing faster, then uh, follow Jay in the future. So what we're going to do, Jay, now is just, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick, uh, well, questions that will get some quick fire responses from you. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. All right, great. So the first one is for you, right? I know in your role, you're, you're uh, well, just change roles and you can see the, the brand at the, the back there, which is great on the, on the if you're watching on the video. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you, either you do yourself, sales habits, or you have um, see others do as sales habits that would help us to uh, accelerate our sales? Yeah, so in 1994, uh, I was a futurist at IBM talking about teleportation and, you know, we're just about to play Gary Kasparov in chess, which kind of changed the AI world. 
uh, before we ever played Jeopardy. Um, but I was also in sales. And the one thing I didn't do coming out of college was drink. And, you know, without being a relationship salesperson, which most of my colleagues were, um, you know, doing deals at two in the morning on a napkin, I had to become a transactional seller, understanding my entire territory and working backwards, uh, almost like a robot would, making sure I knew every deal, every part of the market, Tam, and I was executing laser-like precision and then deploying relationship people where I needed to. And up until this day, you know, 30 years later, I'm still a transactional seller. What is my market TAM? What's my SAM? What are all the routes to market? Who are all the people influencing my customer? And how do I transactionally go and make sure I'm, you know, crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's in my sales process? Brilliant. A man before his time, for sure. Um, the next one is around, you know, for you, if you were going to go find out more about sales, where, where would you go? Yeah, well, the communities around sales are great. And I, I study, you know, psychology. I know how many people love podcasts versus going to the 150 sales shows per year events, uh, to reading the 85 sales magazines, to following the 100 sales super connectors out there. Um, it's personal preference. And by the way, I'm digital. As I said, I'm transactional. Yeah. Uh, I don't have time to, to view things because I want them to run, be run at three times speed. Yes. Don't have a ton of time to listen to things. So I love to read. So, you know, I'll be on LinkedIn. I'll be following these hundred super connectors. I'll be reading, you know, the absolute, you know, future of sales and, and diving into those watering holes. Yeah, great. So, um, you know, you've had a, a fantastic career. As you said, you work for IBM, Lavovo, like, uh, Lenovo, I should say, some some fantastic companies. Um, what have you learned now that you wish you had have learned earlier to to implement in your career? It would be the power of partnerships. Uh, it just makes so much less friction when you've got people championing you along the way. You know, you're trying to, as a salesperson, whether it's ABM approach, account-based marketing, or you're in some transactional approach, you're trying to get into those 28 moments before they make vendor selection. There's already 28 owners of those moments. Somebody wrote that ebook. Somebody recorded this podcast. Somebody ran that event. Somebody runs this peer group or this association. It already exists. So it's so much easier to go make, especially as a relationship person, to go make a relationship with the owner of that moment. And they may not promote you, but even if they don't say anything bad about you, it's still a plus. But if they can move you along in, in those 28 moments, you get mentioned six or seven times. When it comes to vendor selection, you're already in that shortlist. And then a good salesperson will always win more than their fair share. But you got to be, you, you know, an American term, you got to be up at the plate. You got to have a chance to swing at the ball. And you're not going to get a chance unless you're focusing on those 28 moments that your customers walking through and focusing on the people who own that. I, I think I would have crushed my numbers yes. if, if I would have approached it at that with that perspective. Yeah, look, I think that's so powerful. And just to round that out, and to to well to build on that is uh, totally like you know I I come from an ecosystem the Coke system was very much around partnerships right it was one of the you know 
uh, original ones, and, and the model's very similar to SAS, right? It's just, uh, you know, SAS is a much better outcome and a better product for the world than what sugar and water is, but the model is very similar, right? And so often I see people just trying to sell to the end customer one-on-one. And I'm like, hang on, like who goes before you? Who goes after you? There's, like you said, there's already people in that relationship that you've got something that they need and vice versa. And, and you know, often we'll get, um, you know, and it's not a quick win. It's not something that like, you know, we're all after quick wins, you know, yes, you know, we want it right now. But if you take the time to do that, it can be incredibly powerful. And, um, you know, that's what we work and we see as sort of the the fourth leg to the stool is that strategic partnerships and um, and the way that you collaborate it. And like you said, it's only going to become more powerful as there's more and more platforms and more and more players out there. So um, look, Jay, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. So uh, I know that you're prolific on social media, so you can go and follow Jay. We'll have all these links in the show notes, but on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, his LinkedIn handle is just his name, Jay McBain. And then the Twitter profile is just Jay. So without the A-Y, McBain. But uh, yeah, brilliant having you on and, and thanks for taking your valuable time to uh, to share your vision with us today. Thank you so much. Great conversation. What a great interview with Jay. And it's no surprise, right? This guy is an absolute world thought leader in this space. And uh, he had so many important stats. So go and check out the transcript and also follow him on all his socials. The links are all going to be in the show notes. And what you particularly learned from Jay, why don't you share it on LinkedIn and uh, at mention him on LinkedIn? All the links and All the summary will be in your app that you're listening to, but you can get the full transcript and more at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And also, why not share this with others, right? Uh, Jay is such a powerful speaker. I'm sure that your peers will absolutely love it, and they'll think you're a rock star once they get it from you. Uh, Check out our solo shows. Don't forget that free community on Slack, thecloudconsultantscollective.com. If you'd like curated content exclusively for you as a cloud consultant, just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash newsletter and subscribe. You can always unsubscribe if it's not for you, but it's worth taking a punt on it. And next week's guest is Omi Diaz-Cooper, and she's a HubSpot gold partner but she's got a very specific vertical into e-commerce and travel. So uh, you're going to love that. And as always, please take action to accelerate your sales. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.